All right, let's jump into it. We're starting a new series today, which I'm very excited about. It's called Words from the Cross. And we're going to be talking these next few weeks leading up to Easter Sunday about the words that Jesus spoke while dying on the cross. What were the things that he was communicating to everybody for the rest of time while he was nailed to a tree? And so if you, I don't know if you ever watch a movie or a TV show when the, when the main character is dying, you know, and they're, they're dying that slow death and their person's, you know, over the top of them, hey, you know, are you going to make it? It's going to be okay. And they utter out these like important last words, you know, with, these, with this weight to them. And so when we consider Jesus dying on the cross, let's consider that. These are his last words before this final act of surrender is done. I think there's a lot of weight to these words. And so I'm excited about what God has to say uh, to us this morning and the coming weeks. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 23. Look, we're, not, we're saving the best for first with this sermon, all right? This morning, this is, this is really what it's all about. We're not going to bury the headline or anything like that. We're just going to get right into it in the whole point of all of this. We're not waiting till, till Easter. We're doing it right now, okay? Because it deserves our attention. And in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 33... It says, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, here's the words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. So here Jesus is. The reaction that Jesus has to being hung on a cross with nails in his arms and in his legs, with thorns pushed down into his scalp, being beaten to an inch of his life before he even gets on the cross. All of this done, by the way, unfairly and unlawfully. Okay, not that, listen, the thing about Jesus' trial, there were several instances, I'm not gonna get into it this morning, but there were multiple instances where Jesus could have simply said, hey, I need to talk to a lawyer, and the case would have been thrown out like that because how the Pharisees went about it was completely illegal. Think about that for a second. Not only did Jesus not do anything wrong, but the trial was illegal. And his reaction to hanging on this cross was not just to remain silent and stay there. His reaction to being treated unfairly and unlawfully was not just silence, but it was forgiveness. He forgave, think about this for a second. When was the last time you were treated unfairly? And what was your reaction like? Let's just break it down to a real simple elementary uh, you know, example here. You come home, your spouse says, you're tracking dirt into the house. And, and it wasn't you, it wasn't me, it was the kid. You know, you're immediately like, I'm gonna justify myself over this dirt, right? <laughs> I didn't do it. Because we don't like being treated unfairly. We don't like being accused of things that we didn't do. Jesus didn't do anything and he hung on a cross and he forgave those that put him there. Why? Because Jesus is in the business of forgiveness. That is his business. And I want to tell y'all this morning, here it is. Here's the sermon. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Okay. And we can all say that, you know, hey, thank you. And all, but listen, we can walk out of here and forget that that fast. All these things that we've done, all that dirty laundry that is hidden in our hearts can come flooding back and the devil slams us with it 
And we forget that Jesus died on the cross and said, you're forgiven. But so I wanna say it again and again and again this morning to those in here, to those online, because there's a lot of us in here that need to hear it right now. You are forgiven. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jesus died on the cross for you. We say here at Beaches Chapel that this is a home for all to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why do we say that? Because we all know that he died for us. There's not one of us in here that he didn't die for. There's not one of us in here that has earned our seat in this house. Jesus earned it for us. Irrespective of how you got here, you have the right to be called a Christian just like everybody else. Why? Because Jesus did it for you. And because as he hung on the cross, with nails in his arms and nails in his legs, suffocating, he said, you are forgiven. That is why. And that is what we stand on here at Beaches Chapel. The story goes on to say in verse 35, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know what I think Jesus was thinking in that very moment? When this other criminal says, remember me? As he's nailed to the cross, all this pain going through his body. You know what? This is my take on it. When that criminal uttered those words, remember me, I think Jesus thought, worth it. Yeah. Worth it. Because I got one. I got one. You know, this, this story of these criminals is not a footnote to Jesus' death on the cross. And we can treat it that way a lot. It's a nice little bit of trivia that we can talk about. Yeah, there was also a criminal here and a criminal there. One said this and one said that. But it's so much more than that. God put both of these criminals in his word as an example to each one of us. Because the truth of the matter is we're all on our own cross. We are all criminals. We have all done things to deserve that death. And we have two reactions, to believe and to receive the forgiveness or to not. And we see here, one, the first criminal's approach was save yourself and also save me for this life in this world so I can go on doing what I need to do. The other criminal said, I know that there's something beyond this. Save me, not from this, but save me for that. And that is forgiveness. That is what God is offering us. When he says, when Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came to give you life and life to the full, he's not just talking about here on this earth. I would even go so far as to say he's talking mainly about heaven. Saying, you want real life? You wait to see what's to come. All right, because yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you in this life, but guess what? There's still gonna be sin and hurt and death. But life to the full? Oh, just wait, just wait. And so that second criminal, he's saying, listen, remember me for what is to come because that is where that power is. That is where that life is. And so what do we do? 
with this offering of forgiveness that Jesus has given us? Do we hang on our cross and not receive it? Or do we go to Jesus and do we ask him of it? Because what we see here is the answer that Jesus gives this criminal when he asks to be remembered is instantaneous. It's not, you know, let me think about that for a while. I need to go back and consult and really look over everything that you've done and what sins were really bad and others weren't so bad. And we'll see how you measure up to my grace and my mercy. He doesn't do that. The criminal says, remember me. And Jesus says, you got it. You're going to be with me today. Instant answer. Just like that. Mark 2, starting in verse 1, says this story. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. That's an interesting response from Jesus. Because for the men that were there that were lowering the mat, who were, had just dug a hole in this stranger's roof, the obvious need was not forgiveness of sin. The obvious need, the reason that they came, the reason that they did this act of faith was so that their buddy could walk. He was paralyzed. And so their whole thing was bringing Jesus to heal this guy's legs. But here's the thing. If our soul isn't intact, healthy legs can walk us right off a cliff. And so what Jesus does is he sees this guy and he diagnoses the real problem, which is sin in his life, and he does an even greater work. An even greater work than healing a paralyzed man. Y'all see that? Do you understand that forgiveness is a greater work than healing a paralyzed man? Do we get that? We need to. And, and I, I ask you that because I wonder, what is our approach in our prayers? If that's the more powerful work, shouldn't that be the first thing that we pray for? I don't know about y'all, but I forget that sometimes. And I have my list, right? And I, I approach God and say, here's what I need. Here's the things that are going on. Here's the signs, miracles, and wonders that I'm looking for. Oh, by the way, will you forgive me of my sins? And I have to go backwards. And listen, I'm not, like I already said it this morning, we're believing for signs, miracles, and wonders because we have a God that heals in the physical. But there's a greater work first. He wants to heal our soul so that, check this out, when our legs are healed, we have those hinds feet to walk upon the high places. That's what it's about. And so the Jesus did, and he did the greater work first. And if you continue, well, are we going to continue reading it? I forgot my notes. Uh, I'm, I'm a little off kilter here. Every time Jesus forgives sins, the Pharisees go all crazy. They go crazy. Why? Because only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is God. They're saying, this guy, they, it's almost like they get it in a way. If he was just you know, healing and doing all these things. I don't know if they ever would have killed him. Maybe they would have, maybe not. But it's that forgiveness of sins that he does that really got them messed up. Because what he was doing was saying, I'm God and I have the authority to forgive. And you know what? He does. And you know what? He has. You 
are forgiven. You are forgiven. What we get, what we get tripped up about in all this is that we still, we still go back to the Old Testament ways. We still live with the idea, whether we admit it or not, without even knowing it, without even realizing what we're doing, we live with the understanding that our Savior is still the law and not Jesus. And here's what Paul has to say about all this. And we need to, I, I want to examine this because it, it's so important. And it shows the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Paul paints a great picture of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, The old way, which is before Jesus, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. And so two things that I want to take from just that opening couple verses. One, the old law, the old covenant, is etched in stone. The new covenant is etched in blood. The old covenant is on a stone tablet. The new covenant is etched in Jesus' love for us. That is perfect. The old way, the second thing, is that the glory of it faded, and it faded quickly, by the way. The new covenant, the new way, it never fades. It has that new car smell every single day. Because Jesus never fades. His love never fades. His blood is the same all the time. His forgiveness is always available. It doesn't end in that, that, that old way is no more. But we still use it as this measuring stick. Let's keep going before I trip up over myself. Verse eight, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. I love that. I love that. Listen, it takes courage, it takes boldness to be on a cross, sentenced to death, admitting your guilt, and at the last minute, the last hour of your life, looking over to Jesus and say, hey, can I come to heaven too? That takes boldness. That takes courage. It takes boldness and courage to cut a hole, y'all, out of someone's roof that you don't know and lower yourself down. I mean, can you just imagine that? Like, hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> My buddies, we couldn't get in the door. Cut a hole. That takes boldness and courage. But you know what? That's the new way. The new way says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can come to me. You can come to me. This isn't about being written on a stone with a law that you can never measure up to that brings condemnation. Listen, here's the deal. We can't serve the law in Jesus. The law serves Jesus. The law points to Jesus, not the other way around. Jesus does not point to the law, okay? And some of us behave that way. And we, we walk our walk out like that. We open the word and we see all these things that we haven't done right or the sins that we've, that we've committed and we look to the law as if the word of God is pointing to that. 
It's not. The word of God, the law is pointing to Jesus. Let's keep going. I'm going to show you how. Verse 13, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. Sound familiar? And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Why? Because they're so wrapped up in the law. How can this save you? How? I don't get it. And and we get hard hearts. And we get confused. We get condemned. We get frustrated because we've made the law our savior. And until we fully look and turn to Jesus, that veil, that lack of understanding will always be there. It will always be there be there because we haven't fully surrendered to Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers us. But here's the awesome thing, verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit. Here it is, y'all. Y'all ready? And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. And if you're not walking around with that truth, it's because you have made the law your savior. And that's not what the Lord intended. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus so you could be set free from all that condemnation, all that guilt, all that shame, all that frustration of trying to live this certain way. It doesn't work. If it worked, there would be no Jesus. It doesn't work. So stop trying and be bold like the criminal. Be bold like the man on the mat and run to Jesus. Run to him. Luke chapter seven, starting verse 36. says, as one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman, a prostitute, From that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Let's stop here and understand what's going on here. This woman, this immoral woman, is going to Jesus. Just like the guy on the mat, there's an audience Right? She's in a Pharisee's house, a guy who is obsessed with the law. Right? And I'm willing to bet that there were other Pharisees there as well who were also obsessed with the law. And here comes this woman who, listen, when you were a prostitute back then, everybody knew. They knew who she was. And I, I love this picture that it paints. It says that she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Just imagine that she doesn't even go in front of Jesus. She's like back here and she's just crying. She's not saying anything. She's cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears and pouring this perfume on him. Just approaching him because she believes who he is, that he can save her. But she's so broken. She's been, I mean, who knows what her life has been like, how she's been treated, what led her to be in the profession that she was in but she's so hurt 
that the place that she is is behind Jesus. She can't even bring herself to be in front of him. She kneels behind him with this audience around, and here's what the Pharisee says. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he's thinking this, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And the expectation of this Pharisee is that Jesus should be repulsed by her, like he was. The Pharisee is repulsed by her because everything that she is is anti the law. And so because of that, she's disgusting. She's, she's gross. She doesn't have a place in his house as the Pharisee. And so his expectation is that Jesus should see her the same way and should be repulsed by her. And listen, I'm, if, if I'm being honest with y'all, there's a lot of times where we feel like the Pharisee about ourselves, where if we go to Jesus, he's gonna be repulsed by us, by what we've seen, by what we've done, by what he sees on us, the sin, the gross stuff that maybe no one else knows about, and his reaction is gonna be, get away from me, you sinner. You haven't lived up to the law, and so you have no place in my house. But it's the opposite. It's the opposite. And until we fully get that, it's hard for us to go to the Lord and just tell him we're sorry and repent. And here's what he says. The story continues. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, which is awesome. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I love this. I have something to say to you. If Jesus ever says that to you, just buckle up. Get ready. He says, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, so he's looking at her, talking to Simon. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. From the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and here they are, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Here's the thing, in our relationship with the Lord, a lot of times we get to a place where it's like we just can't break through and we almost blame Jesus for it. Or we think that I've done all these things wrong and they've created a wedge in my relationship with Jesus. But the truth is, it's not the things that you've done that have created the wedge. The truth is, it's the thing, singular, that you haven't done that's created the wedge. And the thing that we haven't done is ask for forgiveness. That's what it is, but instead we walk with this guilt and we walk with these sins with this heavy load. And it, and it causes this divide between Jesus and us and he's sitting there going, I don't condemn you. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness and we're good. I'm gonna pick you up. And just like we sang, I'm gonna change your name. 
I thank God. But we can't sing those words and have them resonate in our heart if we never go to God and ask. You know what the theme for every person that we've studied so far this morning is they went to him. The criminal asks Jesus. The paralyzed man gets lowered in. The prostitute goes to his feet. We gotta go. All right, it's there. But if it's Christmas morning, the, the presents don't open themselves. We have to open them. That's the beauty of Jesus is he allows us that choice. But I'm telling you, it's there and it's beautiful and it's freeing. Amen. And it is not the law. And that's the real power of all of this that we're talking about. I'm gonna have the band come up and we're gonna close with communion this morning. I wanna read these last two verses. The first is Romans 8 that we need to understand, y'all. So there is no, now no Condemnation. Come on, I hear you. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you, freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The law can't save us, y'all. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving, sorry, where, by giving, where am I? What's happening? It's on the screen, I know, but I'm trying to be professional here. Oh, by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the, the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. There's freedom in Jesus. Here's the, here's the thing, y'all. If you read the Old Testament and how things worked, a king, if he put a law into effect, if there was an edict that was made, the king could not just cancel out the law. All right, The king couldn't just say, okay, no more law. That's it, I, I changed my mind. Even the king couldn't do that. And so if there was a law that went out that the king didn't like all of a sudden, rather than take it away, he made a new law. He made a new thing that would override the old law. And that's what God did when he sent Jesus. There, he can't change the fact that sin leads to death. If he did that, he'd no longer be God. He'd no longer be that holy, righteous God that we worship. Because he would be, he would be compromising that to bend, the, bend who he is to allow sin in. He can't do that. And so what he did was he said, I know a new way. The law doesn't work. The law leads to condemnation. The law leads to death. So I want to give you life. And so I can't change that. So I'll come up with something else. I'm going to come up with Jesus, my son, dying for you. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And if he said it then on the cross, he is certainly saying it now. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess, if, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Listen, 
We're sinners. We mess up. Every single one of us. But God made a new way with Jesus on the cross. Father, I pray right now, Lord. I pray right now, Jesus, for those that have been walking far too long with guilt and condemnation and shame, with maybe just that one sin, maybe just that one thing that they did that one time or did for a chapter in their life or maybe did yesterday. God, I pray right now that they would stop looking to the law as their measuring stick and start looking to you in that freedom that is etched in the blood of Jesus Christ to set them free. God, I say no more in Jesus' name. To those that are watching, to those that are sitting in here, God. Father, I pray right now for freedom, for freedom in Jesus' name, for life to be restored. God, you did it. Jesus hung there for us. You made that new way so that we could be forgiven. But God, we also see that it is, it's us that needs to come to you. So God, I pray right now for those that need to come to you to ask for forgiveness, that they would do so. And they wouldn't care if there's an audience. They wouldn't care what people think. There's only one thing that matters, Lord, and that's you and us. You changed us, God. You saved us.